of the COVID Chronicles. It's me, Noah. I'm back with my fr good friend, Isaac. Isaac is another uh, University of Minnesota alumni like myself, and he currently works. Well, Isaac, I think it'd actually probably be best if you explain what you did. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so what I do is I am a wholesaler for Allianz. Um, I essentially, I wholesale securities in a territory. So variable annuities. And so basically, just for people who don't know what that means. I like me. <laughs> fair, fair. I work in the financial services industry. So, um, and, and so with this, basically, I want to take a glimpse at what is happening somewhat economically and within the markets as well. I think it'll just be a good topic to just go over. Me too. When I thought of financial expert, I thought of you and I was like, that would be a perfect <laughs> match. Uh, you're still living in Minneapolis, right? I am. Yeah. What's um, the vibe in Minneapolis Lake on uh, March 19th, 2020? I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, there's a Starbucks that's right down the road from me. I live in Uptown. Um, uh, if, if you've been to Minneapolis, you for sure know what it is. But this place is typically packed. I mean, the parking lot is you could you couldn't find a spot if you wanted to. And today I went and I also am addicted to coffee. So I went the last two days as well. Uh, <laughs> and there's no cars there. There's nobody in there. There's quite literally the three times that I've been, there's not been one person in there. It's wild. Uh, I know it is when I whenever I look outside and see the streets, it's it's kind of eerie, isn't it? It's yeah. weird. It's like I went to Walgreens and they have. Everyone was wearing masks in there. And I get it. it the fear is definitely, it's palpable and it, it makes sense. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's the vibe here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty similar in Denver. It's, it's been getting more serious day by day for probably over a week now. Probably since the NBA got canceled last week, it's been taken a little more seriously. For, for you and I, that's when it became yeah. real. Let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> That was actually so – how sad – okay, the first question. As a LeBron fan, how sad are you? I So it's just like – it totally makes – like I was saying, it totally makes sense, and I, I get why, but I'm like, oh, LeBron James, you're 17, age 35, about to win, about to do something that nothing's – no one's ever done before. I mean, I'm devastated. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. I – I loved this NBA season. I thought it was so much fun to watch, and I thought the West was so good. And I really think LeBron was the best player in the NBA this year, without a doubt in my mind. Yeah, I think he was just the best player. He just needs he, and you know, we obviously can't sit on this for too long because we will talk yeah, for an hour about yeah, this. Yeah, I know. I but, just want to hear but, quick thoughts. Right? No, no, no. I'm just saying, but, but like to, to do what he did and switch positions. I mean. To point guard, like I get it. He's a, been a ball handler his whole life, but kind of. But like, he's about to, he's about to leave the league and assist. I don't know. I know it's nuts. It's nuts. <laughs> um, well, my first kind of question is: what I like to do is kind of build up from your perspective how kind of the story has unfolded, and then kind of get into how it's been affecting finances a little bit later, if that makes sense. Yeah. So my totally. my first kind of question is: when did you first hear about COVID nineteen? Yeah, the first time that I actually heard about it was I was, oh, it must have been very early January. And I was a little, I was a little late to the party. I had a really bad cough. And this is why I don't know if I've, I may have had it already. I have no idea. But I had a terrible cough. Like I would breathe and I could, I mean, phlegm, it was, it was disgusting. And everyone at the office was like, oh, you must have coronavirus. I'm like, what is that? And then I looked it up and then I, I kind of was like, yo, this is this is not good. It's not great. But that's kind of how I found out. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, on my last pod, I kind of went over it. I saw a tweet from like the World Health Organization, but that that's just kind of like in my mind the first time I thought of it. What you know, it sounds like your initial reaction. You were like, this isn't great. Kind of what were you thinking when you first were told about it by coworkers? Yeah, the first yeah, the first reaction was, oh, okay. Honestly, I'll be I'll be real. I'll put it this way. There was no reaction until a couple weeks later the the talk about the virus started picking up and people were like kind of making jokes about it. So this would so, be in February? This was probably ah, late January. -ish. Okay. Mid to late January and 
and that's when I looked into it and I was like, oh man, this is a, this is, this could get bad. So, so, you know, I'm part of me as someone who thinks about like humans and human, like how we think and how we behave. One question I'm really, really curious about for you is when did it feel serious to you? What did you learn? What did you read? what did you hear that made it feel serious to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it became very serious to me when I realized when I when I looked into it and realized that there were so many unknowns mm. um, and the people who we look to for guidance in those situations where we don't know, especially in, in regards to, to medical medicine and diseases and viruses, those people are saying that they didn't know. And that started, started kind of turning the wheels in my head, if you will. Um, and, and as time went on, realizing that still to this day, people are guessing still. Mm. That's where it's scary. The people who need to know don't know, you know. So from your perspective, it felt like your initial reaction of hearing it, it wasn't an initial feeling of fear. But it sounds like it became much more serious to you once you began to realize that even the world experts on this had almost no idea what it was or what it would do. Right. Exactly. Yes. And and then I started reading about what it could be and, and the, the potential for death. And that's all, everything came together then. So, so from you, it sounds like it was kind of from like a logical place of assessing the information, looking at some of the data, some of the math behind it, and then kind of thinking about it. That's a perfect way to put it. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I, it wasn't so much, oh, I'm scared that I'm going to get it. Like a lot of people think it is because I talk Mm -hmm. about it a lot and I worry about it a lot. Not for me personally, but just. I feel like people were, were uninformed, ill-informed, um, and that worried me a lot. And now, you know, where we're at right now is happening. So if that answers that, then yeah. No, it does. That's great. Um, kind of something for you, I wonder how your thoughts have changed in the past two weeks. I asked because I'm really curious. It, it feels like the last two weeks is when it's really peaked in America in terms of just like national relevance. And I'm curious what the last two weeks have been like for you. Um, it's, it's kind of funny because there was this gra- there was a meme that I saw and it was basically talking about the stages of, of coronavirus and people's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And it, it talked about how uh, the, the text on the meme said like first stage, jokes second stage that could never happen to me third stage burying your head in the sand or something and saying it's not as big as you think it is in the fourth stage it was just like a blank stare and within (laughs) the last two weeks i feel like we're on the blank stare part of it yeah oh shit (laughs) like hey this is uh this is definitely it's it's affect it's a it's affecting not only people but a lot of people's money Yeah, no kidding. I wonder for you, kind of what has been work like the past two weeks? Dead, which is a rarity. Um, The company that I work for, most people, this isn't even a humble brag, but most people have heard of it. And (laughs) it's true. Yeah, man, it's definitely not a humble brag. No, it's not. It's not. not, I didn't, I don't mean for it to be. No, no, it's cool. But, but, um, but, it's it's like one of the biggest companies in the world it's you know you go to europe it's on every single building it's a german company and it's like we we don't struggle for business i'll put it that way and this these last couple of weeks no one can do anything but so it's been incredibly slow and that's that's unusual it's it is have you been working at at um from home at all no, I haven't. I took these, I took today and tomorrow off. Um, but next week we're mandatorily working from home. Okay. And the reason that we're able to do that is because we're realizing that, you know, so the crux of what I do, I'm the internal person who I literally am on the phone trying to wholesale these products, but I have a partner who is going into firms and meeting with all these advisors and he lives in Florida. So we have South Florida as a territory. His job mm-hmm. is to literally go present in front of advisors 
a ton of them at like UBS, Merrill, and all of those firms send emails to Allianz now saying we're not allowing any face-to-face meetings, not even with clients. There's literally no business to be done because they mm. can't do it. You know, yeah, uh, it's weird. It's it's weird to me. Um, I know a little bit ago you kind of mentioned that you know you felt worried not as much for your own health but for the health of other people. Um, mm. I wonder, kind of, how have you managed those kind of worrying? Like, are you a person who enjoys talking about it a lot? Have you put your head in the sand, so to say? Like, how have you kind of managed that worry? Um, I think. I, in the past, in my, in my past life, my short 25 years, I used to, I used to uh, worry a great deal about things that were out of my control. Uh, a good example is when the Ebola virus actually, uh, when that was a thing in 2014. Yeah, I remember that. I'm telling you, man, I was tw- really washing my hands. Oh, God, I was unbelievable. I actually didn't go to a class. For the entire semester because they were broadcasting on the tele it was a media class and they were covering the ebola crisis nonstop. Yeah. and i was like i can't i can't see that or else i'm gonna tweak but i've come along yeah look at you now and I, <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> and now i like to think about these things logically i don't worry about things like this and uh i i would say I'm incredibly vigilant and I like to see how things are unfolding. I like to follow it closely, but I don't like to fear about it. That makes sense. I know you and I kind of had a similar reaction in the sense that just following each other on Twitter, it felt like we both saw the way things were going and thought about it very similarly from the start. Yeah, we did. We definitely did. And I remember we connected about it and we were both somewhat frustrated. Um, at just the, the lack of, care, I know, you know, and people's responses saying, well, it only kills young people. It's like, okay. And let's say that is true. Don't you have like anyone that's above 50, 60, 60 years old who this could compromise? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the right question to ask. I think to those people, I also saw an article today suggesting that uh, in America, young people are actually getting really sick from it. Yeah, I. Uh, you should send me that article because I want to read yeah, it. Yeah, I'll send it up for this. The percentage rates for hospitalization is actually getting relatively high, even for 20-year-olds, compared to some other countries. And they're kind of – so, you know, this was just released today, so this obviously has not been, like, uh, authenticated by another journal or anything. But part of the speculation was – are young people in America and in like Western Europe are spreading it around more because they didn't take it. There wasn't as much quarantining at first. So since it spread to more people, there's just like a larger percentage who had the opportunity to get more sick from it. Wait, say that one more sure. time. I was, I was trying to... So what the article is saying is more young Americans are getting sick than we thought would have been the case. And part of the explanation for why that is is because they think it's, it was more, it's more just a function of less people quarantined in America compared to some other countries. And so young people spread it more. Like, it wasn't taken as seriously. So as it was spread to more people and less people were, like, really cognizant about it, there was the opportunity for more and more people to get sick. And as you just got a bigger sample size, more people just happened to be sick than we thought. That's, see, that's the, that's the thing. So what we did what we did know from the start is that a lot of younger people are asymptomatic, yes. right? And that, what you just said, proves it. We know, we've known that for a while, and yet we still disregarded it just because, you know, if you don't feel sick, then, well, it's, it's then I'm not yep. sick, right? <laughs> and it's just crazy because what we also know in combination with that is, People on average are going to spread it to three or four people if they have it. And so you don't know about, you don't know that you have it. And all of a sudden you're around 20 people and all 20 of those people are spreading it to three to four people. And then boom, I don't, I'm not a mathematician, but you, you can see where, what I'm saying. No, you can (laughs) literally see it on like Corona has an exponential curve to it. And it's really like a long 33%, which (laughs) Um, it's kind of uncanny. It's interesting that even across countries that 
didn't take early precautions, it's the rates were really similar. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think a telling thing is one of my call, co- one of my colleagues, he's, he just turned 27. He was, uh, he's kind of like a, uh, uh, I don't even know how to put it, but braggadocious bravado type of guy. So like and you, he's like, he, you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> This guy was like saying, um, I'm an American. There's no way they can tell me what to do. If I want to go to the store, I'm going to go to yeah. the store. That was the very first reaction. And I I was fearful that a lot of people felt that hey, way. I heard a lot of people say that over the past month. I'm, <laughs> it's crazy. And it's really so that's you know kind of one of the reasons that prompted me to want to do this podcast. And I'm, I want to like truly a part of me wants to study this phenomenon, how people react differently to it and the kind of the consequences that uh, different like behavioral reactions to this or different thoughts about it kind of impacted people. (laughs) If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, I know kind of a big thing you wanted to get into was how COVID specifically has been affecting the financial markets. And I know you said work has been really dead. I was wondering kind of if you had more thoughts and insight into how this, I mean, like, just how this disease is really impacting the global marketplace. Yeah. Well, so in, in these like slower times, I like to listen to a lot of experts kind of explain the synopsis on how it's affecting the economy and markets. And there are people who have kind of, they've, they've been doing this stuff well for a very long time, like very, very renowned names in the financial services industry. Um, and they always go on these talk shows that I listen to, these, these business talk shows. And they basically are echoing things that you and I talked about from you know, a month or two ago. Um, the fact of the matter is this. A lot of people are likening this situation to uh, 2008. And to me, from what I'm gathering, it's going to be worse than that. Um, the, 2008 was an event. And the reason that we were able to see such a sharp V V shaped recovery is what they call it is because it was literally an event that occurred. Uh, people didn't lose, people didn't lose, you know, uh, sorry, I'm, conf- I'm, I'm conflating two things. 2001 is what I'm talking about. Nine um, eleven, sure. And so the, the markets were kind of impacted in a similar way that they are right now. But this is way different because 2001 wasn't. Yeah, it was like a day. Yeah. And so all of a sudden people were like, "Okay, well, rally. This is America. Let's get these financial markets up and running because there was nothing that happened except two planes that ran into a building. 2008 occurred. Boom. Government bailout to the banks, which it, it ended up working out. This we have to restore consumer confidence, which is pretty much impossible because people are confined to their homes and this is a virus like (laughs) it's it's way different it's way different it's not an event there's nothing that the bank the the fed or the government can necessarily do economy the economy is going to be ruined to be honest in my opinion and from what these people are saying it's not going to be good Um, um i'd like to make one adjustment just just sure. for your sake, Isaac, I know what you meant when you said just two towers hit buildings. I don't think you yeah. meant to minimize yeah. what happened in 9-11. Totally. I think he was just trying to point out that it was a singular one-day event. <laughs> yes. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I just wanted to point that out. Where this, this corona thing is, it's evolving, and we have no idea where, we're like in the middle of it. Right. Right. And Well, so, so like, just to kind of tie, tie up what I was saying, because I kind of rambled, but so think about regular economics, which I was not good at, but I learned a lot in the last. <laughs> but years. you just work in finance, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> we we make. Wow, it. I wonder how uh, the economy's going so bad. I was like, I don't understand. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, but just think about it on a regular in, on a regular scale, though. You think about supply demand. You think about trade. You think about people providing goods, imports, exports, mm-hmm. right? And if literally companies can't, if, if people can't go to work across the world, especially in China, that what China does is they, they make things. 
a lot of like that's what they do they provide things they make things that's how they operate as a country and they provide them to every every other country um if people aren't going to work to produce those things boom there's the first cog in the system if people can't go outside their house in america they can't purchase the things that the limited amount of things that are being imported Mm -hmm. right they can't because they're inside yeah (laughs) um and then all of a sudden, neither can all of these businesses that import from China and costs go up and people can't afford things. People can't afford paying their workers. And that's why we're seeing right now, go look at how many layoffs there are and the projections for layoffs. It's wild. I saw, um, I think the New York Times reported yesterday, so March 18th, that one in five Americans either got or like temporarily laid off or had their hours cut. It's insane. My roommate just just happened. They're like, "Hey, you're a scribe at a hospital. We can't pay you. Sorry." That was it. <laughs> Dude, that's so bad too. Because the hospitals are the places that are really getting hit. We need more people there. Yeah, truly, it's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. So, how do you think? It sounds like almost in your kind of your understanding of it. It's kind of almost a domino effect that started months ago, where as production began to shut down in a lot of Chinese companies, it started to impact the global economy. And then once the virus came here, along with that economic impact, we also saw people being quarantined. So it's hard to get products and things like that. That's a perfect way to sum it up without me rambling. That is exactly right. I wonder for you, what do you, there's been a lot of panic buying. I wonder kind of what you think about that from your kind of, I've, I talked about a little bit last episode from my, from like a psychological perspective, why it happens, but how do you kind of make sense of the panic buying people have been doing? Just you're talking just goods yeah, yeah. like toilet paper yeah. stuff. Um, like I like I was saying earlier, I think I think the it's justifiable. People are scared. People are worried. Um, I think the incorrect response early on was for people to say, "Don't panic, you guys are idiots." Yes. <laughs> right? Clearly, like, it's a is it right? Right, exactly. It's a perfectly normal humanistic response to think, hey, I know that there's a chance that I might not be able to leave my house. Might as well stock up. Um, it's, I think it's justifiable. I didn't do it, but I get why people are. What do you think about it? Um, I understand people getting food and things to prepare for a, a quarantine. I definitely thought some of the panic buying, for instance, like toilet paper isn't scarce in any country right now besides America. So I think, I mean, honestly, kind of in an economic terms, in a supply and demand sense, there's a peak demand caused by just kind of like this bystander effect that other people saw other people getting toilet paper and then just kind of snowballed into everyone panicking about it. And the demand got so high. And as the demand got higher, the supply at the same time became shorter so people just like panicked even more that's how it makes sense of that i bought food like i have a bunch of like rice and spaghetti and stuff like that and bush's bait no dude i did not have any beans <laughs> what did you, did you get uh, anything uh, like did you get any food to prepare if you need to be quarantined for a while no but i think i'm going to i think uh it'd probably be a good idea better safe than sorry right? yeah uh, I can't. But the way that you the way that you just said it, I think is right. I think it was just it was like keeping up with the Joneses almost in a negative yeah. way. It's like, oh, if they're doing it, I might as well. That makes but. sense to me. Mm-hmm. Americans are just so weird because something that was really interesting to me is okay. We saw China literally was quarantining tens of thousands of people, which was the right thing to do. Like very smart. Like Italy, we saw it get very widespread. And first there was the shutdown of the northern part of Italy, that an entire countrywide quarantine. But then Americans were like, yeah, there's no way that would happen here. I'm just, I'm right. Like, that's unbelievable to me. That's unbelievable. It's just, it's so, it's just, it screams, it screams all of the, uh, the stereotypes of Americans. Like we're in, a lot of us think we're invincible. And I think it's, the, the chickens are coming home to roost, if you yeah. will. Um, <laughs> you'd think, hey, I, I, I'm seeing what's happening in Italy. 475 deaths yesterday. 
<laughs> we probably should just do what we're told to do. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic. It's not good. I also kind of wonder, to me, it feels like American culture kind of almost since the foundation of the country has been based on the idea of like individual sense of freedom and control over self. And I wonder if that has come into play here where even like your coworker was saying that like, yeah, the government can't tell me what to do, even if it means saving, you know, even if it makes sense, I, if I don't want to do it, I'm not gonna. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I'm saying too. When I say the chickens are coming home to roost because on paper, yeah, that's great. But in times like this, which again, no one ever thought would ever come. Um, it, it's just proving to be a, a a fatal system. The one thing that I want to ask you about though, is so people are talking about togetherness and how this is breeding a spirit of camaraderie between us and our peers and other countries. But what do you think about it? Do you think that that's good? And do you think potentially it's a little bit too late? Huh? It's an interesting question. It definitely does feel like kind of from a, from a human psyche perspective, the two things that interest me a lot in this are how is prolonged quarantining going to impact how we interact with each other on like a fundamental level? Like if an entire country of 400 million people is quarantined for two months, how does our society look different after that? How does our communication look different after that? You know, right. is it now for a long time, people have been saying the way the phones have been distancing us. But if you haven't been allowed to see your friends in two months, I wonder if there'll be a huge spike in human face-to-face interaction and going out to restaurants and doing these kind of things. Um, so part of me thinks that I would probably, I think it's a great thing if we build a global sense of camaraderie around a common, um, I guess for lack of a better term, common enemy in COVID. But I think human history has demonstrated really well that when a group of people have a common enemy, that it's very easy for them to get along compared to when there's nothing kind of symbolically joining them. I mean, I think that'd be a wonderful thing if we could become like more understanding as people having all kind of gone through this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be, a, it would be a tremendous thing. I think, uh, I think that this is just a projection. I think we're going to see a new norm. What it will look like. Um, there would, uh, yeah. That's, that's a good question. I think, um, well, I read this article that was basically talking about working from home and how that might be the new normal and things like that. But I don't think it's just going to be that. I think it's going, you know, and it's hard for me to even envision what could happen because it could go any which way. But I think we could potentially see um, less emphasis on making money and profits and just personal well-being. Um, I think there's going to be a lot, lot more people who are open to the idea of, I won't even say like socialism. I'll say like not looking out for just yourself and looking out for your neighbor. Um, I I just, I think money is going to become less important as time goes on. I really do. I wonder for you, the topic kind of segues really nicely into in the past two days, there's been some news that's, the government is thinking about giving everyone universal basic income for at least the foreseeable future, maybe a thousand dollars once per month. What impact do you think that will have on the economy and what impact do you think will have in people's receptiveness to kind of more socialist ideas? That is a very, very good question. Here, just answer the first part and we can do the second part later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, so just what I think about the thousand dollars. Yeah. Like how do you think it'll impact the economy? Um, I would probably, so we got to think about, it's almost a supplement for income for a lot of people and, and a lot of businesses, large and small scale. I think that it's going to keep people afloat. Um, I, I think that it's, since it's a supplement for income, I don't know if there's going to be that much of a positive impact in like the markets or anything just because we're also losing income on the other end a lot of people are and a lot of businesses Mm -hmm. are so i think it could remain stable or maybe even people are less prone to investing that money um 
I think it's a good thing, though. I think that there are a lot of people who need it. A lot of a lot of people who mm-hmm. need it. And I hope that. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny because I think Donald Trump might use this as an opportunity to swoop in and championize this for himself. If things do, if we end up being positive on the other side of this virus. But I think he's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I actually agree. You know, I think because it's not his idea, no. right? Like, it's, But it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter right. whose idea it is. If you're the president, you implement something I'm like that's You made a good decision. Correct. Exactly. And I'm not a guy who's like, I, you know, I'm just not a very political guy. I'm really not. I thought you were, um, so I do. I, I thought you were astonished, I like man. <laughs> hand to heart. Oh, <laughs> uh, you were saying you're not very political. Say that you again. were just saying, like, yeah, I'm not a super political guy, but yeah, I'm, I'm not super political. I think I like stuff that makes sense. That's all. Yeah, I I think I feel pretty similarly to you, where I can't imagine people will take this money and invest it in stocks. But I could see them using it more for like food and rent and help kind of keep some of those markets afloat. Because interesting, I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. I saw that some European countries are thinking about implementing like a freeze on rent and mortgages. How do you think that would impact the economy compared to just supplementing the money up front? That would be weird because now we look at a situation where people who have the business of uh, running, running any commercial properties or any, you know, if they're a landlord, if you will, uh, does their job get impacted too? And obviously that's not that, well, I guess I shouldn't say that it's not that big of a sect of people, but um, I don't know how I feel about that one. I really don't. I don't know. I think it'd be helpful, like to the greater good. Yeah, I think the more I talk, I think that'd probably be a good thing for for a lot of people. But I think we need to scale it in a way in Europe. And if we decide to take it on here, we need to scale it in a way that the people who need help the most get the most help. And the people who don't need help don't get the same privilege. I agree with that. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm fully on board with that line of thinking. But, you know... I guess I also have the perspective in life that I think I value human lives a lot more than I think money is important. So I'd rather have people be healthy and happy than just have a lot of money for myself. But uh, just because I think that doesn't mean that's how everyone should, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we're both we think the same way, too, even though I work in financial services. I think, <laughs> even though uh, you have no soul and work in financial services. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, we feel the same. <laughs> Hey, I know. Hey, I'm just kidding. I'm just I... kidding. <laughs> oh man! I wonder for you, how kind of where do you see our marketplace going? Because you said that you really think it might be worse than the '08 depression. I'm wondering where you think, you know, the rock bottom of this is, and what point in time you think we'll hit it. So that's that's an interesting question too, because a lot of the experts that I've watched for weeks have been saying we're stabilizing this is going to be the bottom and then we see another the next day we see 2000 point dow dow drop how was it today you see today i don't know i didn't have my charts i I didn't look either um but it's it's uh it's just funny to see this is the first time ever that literally even when it comes to this nobody knows no one really knows we don't know where the bottom is. We don't know how far this is going to fall because right when we think we do, there's another, I mean, we get just decimated. Um, and hopefully, and that's another thing about panic too. All of this, these market sell-offs have been panic induced. But again, I think it's viable. People are saying, hey, this is a virus. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. All we know is that we're losing money. Let's get out. <laughs> so I, I just so. pulled up the Dow today. It looks like mm-hmm. before 10 a.m. it they dropped pretty heavily, but then it rebounded and it ended the day a little under one percent up. It's better than seeing red. I'll yeah, say no that. kidding. Like we've seen the last two weeks, we've gotten just oh man. Uh, 
there was an interesting statistic and don't quote me on this. It was like, it took 103 years to get us. What was it? What was the figure? I don't remember the figure. It's like in the 20,000 sure. somethings for the DAP. And it took us 30 days to like lose half of its value or something like that. I don't remember. That just kind of puts it into perspective how volatile the times are. Yeah, that's nuts. But it is. It's crazy. I wonder, do you foresee this? It's it's hard. Obviously, neither of us are infectious disease experts. But from kind of a human perspective, do you think there'll become a point in this virus where investors for lack of a better term, just become normalized to this is our reality and you see things picking up or do you imagine it will continue down for a while? You've asked a question right now that I have never heard anybody ask. And I think it's a really good one. The reason why I say it's a good question is because when I'm thinking about it right now, I think that's likely. I think people will just start to embrace the fact that this is running rampant. Um, and I think people are going to get more comfortable with the idea of a new normal in this way. Yep. People are going to start to realize, well, the, another thing is people start to see things like this as a buying opportunity. Um, and so I could, I could see things rebounding, maybe not to the level that they are, were at before, because we were just seeing historic, I mean, a historic bull run. Now, now I think we can get, to a, a stable Cause, place because so i was I, listening I to the british that prime happen. minister that's a really good britain really similar or the uk i should say similar to us is having a really tough time controlling the spread of the virus and was really slow in implementing quarantines and you know the prime minister almost suggested the idea of herd immunity herd immunity is the idea of in a group of animals once about 70 percent of the population gets the disease we're kind of like everyone kind of has it and we're kind of past it. So I think some countries eventually are going to hit the point of herd immunity. And then I think especially for investors, that'll be a time of like, this is when it starts to disappear. But the way we're doing it in America by kind of prolonging the bell curve, by trying to get less people sick, that means herd immunity comes much later, but in exchange, I think we get to save a lot of people. Um, well, do you think that exactly. herd immunity works because, every time? I don't know. I'm genuinely Well, in this case, I think herd immunity is a really good example because if this was a disease like Ebola, Ebola would have no herd immunity because Ebola would just kill us. Like, it, its mortality rate was extremely high. Like, it would just literally devastate the population where this is going to hurt a very specific part of our population, but it is a lower threat to, like, completely wiping us out, if that makes sense. So what I'm saying is, like, from the investor's perspective, if things get to the point where even yeah, if people are still yeah. really sick, they're either just so used to it because this is how it's been for a few months, or if it's to the point where people are getting sick, but we seem to have it much more under control, how do you think that kind of thing would impact markets? Okay. Well, my, my one question to you before I answer that is, do it. what... Well, I'm now I'm interested in, in this herd immunity thing. I'm going to look it up when we're done. But uh, um, yeah. that's crazy if that is true. But I, what if we were wrong? No, I, I think that's you know an important I mean? thing. I also think what if this was one it's of important them to remember. I said this in the last podcast, too. So I'm so, sorry for if anyone listened to both of these, that viruses are living organisms. And like all living organisms, they have the chance to evolve. And and while it's true for most diseases, it's most beneficial the disease, yes. the yes. virus doesn't kill its host. It's like a parasite where it wants to be able to live and spread, but not necessarily kill you. Right? However, that doesn't stop all viruses from doing this. Because as we know, evolution happens yeah. randomly. So the virus could randomly mutate into something that kills everyone. And, you know, then it wouldn't matter if the virus was successful or not. We are in a lot of trouble. Right. So that 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 point right there is I wish that I had a, a more credible biological background because I 
don't take my word for what I'm saying, but from what I've read, yeah, I saw that too. That's a very likely scenario, and it's something that even Bill Gates was talking about. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Five years ago, he had a podcast, and he was talking about superbugs, and the concept was this: it's basically organisms that evolved so quickly that um, that base that basically they're resistant to all antibiotics because they evolve so quickly. Um, and then before you know it, they evolve into something that could wipe out a large portion of humanity because of how strong and how uh, many strains actually do become alive and real. And he, that was five years ago. He talked about that in a Ted talk. You can look it up. He, he now came back and he was saying, that this is something this is a virus that he might think is that maybe or that's what he was referring to and i guess we'll see but i know and that comes if you kind of think about evolution right think of how long it takes to make for humans to go from one or to go from like two to a hundred thousand like that is such a large amount of time that it takes for the population to grow to that coronavirus. I think we're in over 200,000 confirmed cases and it's been Mm -hmm. three months. That's a lot of genetic mutations very in a very short time span. Like what if it connects to what if eventually a billion people had it and then had the chance to mutate (laughs) a billion times? Like these are things we just like don't know. So that that's the scariest thing because that isn't out of the ball that isn't out of the question. It's not. It's not. And people are gonna say that would never happen. It doesn't happen with any other disease. I guess my rebuttal to that would be how we don't, do you know? I, okay, you wanna hear like the ultimate how panic do you thing? know that's not gonna happen? <laughs> like, this is my we don't this have. is my deepest doomsday fear with this, okay? You ready? Yeah. So right now we're working on a vaccine and like a cure for this, right? Yeah. So my fear, I mean, that's a great thing. And I'm glad they're doing this. Mm -hmm. But similarly to like what you're talking about, when we invented antibiotics, what we didn't realize is that if someone takes antibiotics, but they don't like finish their dose or completely kill the virus, the part of the virus that lives can mutate into something that's like resistant to the medicine. So I'm really afraid if we have this giant population of sick people who all take the same medicine and like even 5% don't follow the medication requirements. And then there's this new strain of medicine resistance, uh, COVID like that's when I think it would be like really devastating, like even more so it's true for a lot of like more infection things. You can look it up. They're called, uh, is that actually true? Oh, antibacterial resistant infections. That's why it's so important if you like get antibiotics to take all of them. But a lot of people quit early and the ones that didn't die in their body become like a superbug, basically. Um, so, so now we're kind of at the point of the podcast and like yeah, looking forward wow. to the future and kind of we've already been doing that already. <laughs> I wonder from your perspective, how do you think people should be handling this? What do you think the proper protocol for people should be for the next couple months? Yeah, I think that we are going to have to wait to see how, you know, this working from home thing is going for literally the mass majority of people who have the luxury of working in offices. Um, But that's kind of what I was referring to about, you know, a new normal. And it totally depends on the route that America decides to go. If we decide that this this is just the new normal and we're just going to live life and it's inevitable that people are going to spread the disease and people are going to die then i think that we should just live our lives um but if we actually want to try to taper this thing off i think that we need to actually decide that we are actually going to taper this thing off Uh, it's going to be a matter of the the majority of the population doing so in that case Mm -hmm because it's going to be the keeping up with the Jones thing. Like we said, for the toilet paper stuff, if everyone else is doing it, 
then yeah, Isaac, I think this, people are going to say, there's oh, there's a study yeah. in psychology that I always think like, about I humans. I should be doing the same. That what so, they did is they hired these 18 actors and put the actors in the room. And they told these actors, like, no matter what happens, just keep taking this math test that we're going to give you. And they brought in one person for each time they did the experiments. And the, this person just thought they were doing a math test with a bunch of other people. And what they did is they started a fire in the front of the classroom and had all 18 people not react mm -hmm. to the fire. And they found that the one person who was actually there would see the fire. And since other people wouldn't run away, they would just stay there. I know. And, but I think about that. I think if we can get it to the point, if we can hit the critical mass of That's enough insane. people are staying inside <laughs> and doing like these pro-social behaviors, like washing your hands and not going out if you're sick and trying to social distance, I think everyone will start to do it or most people will. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, um, yeah, that's actually, I'm going to look up that study too. Cause that's really interesting. I, you know, I love that type of stuff. Uh, I think a lot of it will have to be, we have to decide what we want as a country as well. Do we really care about earnings, money, and profit? And I was saying this before, uh, do we value those yeah. things over human lives? And it's a pretty damning statement right there, but I think that <laughs> I think that we need to in this specific time, my opinion is we need to realize that money is just money. It is just money. Um, we need to figure out a way for people to to live and be safe and understand that is going to change the the money. For you, have if, has there ever been full, any kind of financial situation on, on or just round. kind of global events that reminds you of this at all? <laughs> Not that I was old enough for. I researched I research 2008. We were 13, like 12 or 13. Um, but I didn't really feel it because I was in, what were we? We were both in eighth. Yeah, we were, we were <laughs> in like seventh or eighth grade. And I know I was an idiot when I was a kid. You weren't, but I was. And I was like, I, I had no idea no, what I mean, was going on. I so there's kind of really, remember no. some stuff about 9-11. How about you? Like I remember... I remember hearing about it at school and seeing it on the news kind of. And like, I remember people being scared about it and I remember that kind of stuff, but I was six, I think when nine 11 happened. So I don't have very much memories and 2008 crisis. I like really barely remember just cause we were like 13. I was way more interested in basketball than the financial markets. Right. I think so what I do when I talk to my advisors on the phone, um, what I've been doing is I ask them because most of them are older, or old enough to know to, to have lived through all three of these situations that we're referencing right now. So I always ask them, I'm like, is this the craziest time that you've ever been a part of? Um, and every single mm -hmm. one of them have said yes, every single one, which I thought was really kind of eerie. I probably asked 15 to 20 of my advisors that live in South Florida. I'm like, is I know this, for me, it feels like have you seen anything like this. And they're historically all the most unique close. time of my life, probably from like a global perspective, not like individual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one thing too, is I was talking to my, one of my roommates about this. Um, and I was talking to someone at work about yeah. this, but we have to remind ourselves that even though it doesn't feel like it, this is crazy. We have to keep reminding ourselves this isn't like it doesn't feel like we're going through what we're going through. I don't think for a lot of people like this is historic. This is crazy. It's not normal. And I think we kind of as as we look through our, the past what 10 years, we see so much and we take in so much. And, you know, we're desensitized so much that things don't really. No, I agree with you. And something I've been thinking us. about recently is <laughs> we have not, such a 24 is. hour news cycle. And the way news is consumed, at least in America, is it feels like there's a story and it lasts a day or two. And then there's a new big story to last a day or two. But this is if this goes on for months. I don't know how people are going to handle just hearing about it every single day. 
Oh, for sure. <laughs> Do you think people will become desensitized to it even more? I read um, like they are one of my favorite yeah, books. I think is they, called they, Man's they, Search for Meaning by uh, Victor Frankel. Um, and in the book, he talks about how humans we're the most like unbelievably resilient yeah. things on the world, and yet we are so fragile. And I keep thinking about that when thinking about kind of this whole topic and what's been happening globally. What, what do you, I guess, to extrapolate, what are your thoughts on? Sure. What like, do you, what do you think when you I mean, tie those? I always feel like humans and what you read in the book together. Humans are amazing because we're capable of such wonderful like things and amazing accomplishments and kindness. And there's the other side of us where we can do terrible things to each other. And this conflict has brought out the people who have been like hoarding toilet paper and Purell to try to resell it. But, you know, also people doing really great things and scientists collaborating all over the world. Like, think of how fast we got all this data information and how collaborative everyone's been and just kind of how globalized our news is. We, we were able to know about this stuff so fast where if we didn't have the Internet, but there was still global traveling, I wonder how different this would look. So I think, I think we have a lot of opportunities in times like this to be really good people to each other. You yeah. know, and we can be really resilient and we can learn how to self-quarantine and we adjust to our environment really quickly. But, you know, we're also fragile and sometimes it's hard to get everyone in the group to agree to do the same things and get on the same page. Yeah, it's just in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah. So would you say I'm sure from an evolutionary perspective, we kind of have to develop this way because we don't want everyone to always go with everything the group says. But we also want to be on the same page most of the time to accomplish things. So, I don't know. Um, we're yeah, you get it. Do you have any? We're starting to run out of time. We've been going for almost an hour. I wonder, kind of, if you have any closing oh, yeah, thoughts or anything you want to share? Mm -hmm. Uh I would. Uh, hmm. We kind of went over a lot, but I'll, I'll say this just to, to close it out. I think um, we... Sorry, I dropped my phone. <laughs> we, we do really need to remember that this isn't normal. Um, I agree. And we need to be I think vigilant, that's good. I, I think say. stay inside when as much as you can. Wash your hands. And, that's really um, it. Yeah. Just try to, try to help out others who need it, especially during this time. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Isaac. It, I think this was a great episode. I think if anyone made it this far, they'll be like, wow, that was a good hour of my life. Um, yeah, and thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I'll